Welcome to the RGG EDU podcast, where they talk a little photography and drink a lot of whiskey. Season three of the RGG EDU podcast is brought to you by Smug Mug. Yeah, they got a ridiculous grin and the name is funny, but Smug Mug is serious about photography. If you're ready to upgrade your photo game online, get your ass over to SmugMug.com to see where the pros are storing, showing, and selling their images. In this episode, we're joined with the king of composition, the <laughs> uncle that I always wanted, Michael Eastman, and of course, alongside me is Rob Grimm. Always here. Yeah. Never never not at your side, Gary Martin. Yeah. You know, it's exciting because Michael's I think, is our first guest from St. Louis, which is where we're from. I think he is. And not only is he our first guest from St. Louis, he is part of the fabric of St. Louis, undoubtedly one of the most well-known, well-respected artists in our town. Oh, thank you. And yeah. if you were a type of fabric, what type of fabric would that be? Like a tweed? Hmm. Silk, dude. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. All right. Silk. So let's start from the beginning. How did you how did you start out? When did you pick up a camera? I took a pick I took a photo class in camp when I was twelve and I learned the basics, development and stuff like that. And it's funny when you when you learn something at that age, it's like it's there. It, and uh Took a few pictures. Remember one picture I took? That's the only thing I can really remember. But I learned how to do it, and then I didn't do it for till I was 26. And um, I picked up a camera because I was basically so ADD that I could not, never think of learning like a, uh, how to play guitar or how to paint. The, the idea of that amount of time and patience was like beyond what I what, what I thought was possible. Um, and it was, but photography was instantaneous. I mean, you could make photographs immediately. But it wasn't so instantaneous as it was. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's great. Yeah. These things So, when I think when I think of that's my question. When I think of film, I think of that's that's why I don't shoot film because it's not instantaneous. So that's funny that Oh, no, it's well, strange. The time it was, if you could go out and you could take a picture and you could develop it and yeah. get the context you the, the like, slide back and No, 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 no. Yeah, but 2 hours was instantaneous. But how long did it take? 2 hours. How long did it take oh. to learn an instrument enough to make music? I have no idea. I don't play any instruments. That's we- why. Weeks, months, Super years. Patient. Yeah. Photography, years. you pick up a camera, you snap it and you've made a picture. Yeah. That that's that's the democratic side of of what photography is to me. Anybody can do it, and anybody can do it right away. And now anybody can do it with, literally anybody can with a phone. Everybody is. Yeah. Yeah, Everybody so prolific. Everybody yeah. Has, has cameras in their pocket. Which is difficult for a photographer when you go on Instagram or whatever, and there's m- amazing pictures all over the world. Right. And when that's what you did for 20, 25 years, I'm jumping ahead, but right. it's, 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 it's disheartening. Well, let's jump back. Let, let's go back and, and give our audience who don't know you Tell us who you are, what you do, your style, and kind of how you've made your mark in the photographic world. If you can sum up you for us. Um, let's see. I, I'm, I'm a fine art photographer who made that choice. Uh, the choice was made for me by the crash. So I became a photographer about uh, 20. I've been a photographer. For, let me start over. Okay. Um, I started photography in 72, and the things that I was really interested in the beginning was working on composition and, and, and detail architectural stuff. For, um, uh, th- that's basically the beginning and also where I am today. I'm still doing architecture. I'm still very interested in the way they're composed, and now I've added sort of color. So I'm known. Um, I'm pretty well known. Um, yeah, uh, you're very well known. Well, yeah, yeah. I never know because I'm, yeah. I know me, you know, right. <laughs> so I don't know who knows me. But um, I... I'm really well known for color, architectural interiors. Uh, my most successful body of work was Cuba. I went in '99, and I've been back uh, four times since then. And I'm you, planning to go back again. And, you show in galleries across the U.S. Your work is kind I, of I used everywhere. to. I mean, yeah. it's it's a big subject because I started with one gallery, and then I had two, and I had 15, and and that was in the, you know in the 15? late '90s. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it was a full time thing, and then slowly I got down to where I am now, which is one gallery in New York, a, real, a great gallery, the gallery I always wanted to be in. So is it better to be in the single gallery that you always wanted to be in, or were you more at a height with 15 galleries kind of all over the place? Yeah, that, that's a tough question. I don't, with one gallery, it's great. I don't have to do a bunch of work 
in terms of accounting where prints are and who's got inventory and who needs what. I don't do that at all. The gallery does it. The bad news is that I don't get the exposure I got. And, and for a photographer, sure. uh, you want as many images as you make out in the world. And part right. of that is at art fairs and galleries, et cetera. When you're in one gallery, you get two spaces on an art fair wall, right. if you're lucky. Right. You get one, you're lucky. Right. And usually you're fighting three, you know, 30 other artists, photographers, um, who need to be on the wall too. So it's tough. I don't like that right. from that standpoint. I, I want people to see what I do. So what, what draws you to being a fine artist? Because most of our audience is truly trying to break into the world of commercial photography. They haven't really experienced the world of, of being a fine art photographer. So I know, and I, I know you well, so I know your history. You've done a lot of commercial work. What drew you, though, to being a fine art photographer? But I, I always was both. Yeah. When I started, I was a commercial photographer to make money, and then I'd go out on my right. own and and, and, and – I remember that my biggest influence then was Edward Weston's day books. And yeah, I used to yeah. read those like a Bible. Every day yeah. I'd read a couple pages. And, you know, here's a guy talking about being a photographer, being an artist, living the life of an artist. Right. And, you know, it was completely inspirational to me. I mean, I still am so fond of his words and his images. And so I thought I could do both. And I did. I, I, I did uh, photograph shoes in the beginning. Mm -hmm. um, I did tabletop and I've got pretty good at that I right. was doing national ads a little bit um, and I was learning I taught myself for the first 10 20 years um, right. I was getting I was pretty good at the end of 10 in black and white and then I started color in, in the early 80s and that's uh, so I, I got good at that too you photograph people I did commercially I don't yeah. for my own work yeah I photograph I do portraits of interiors with the people gone Right. So that there's a presence that was just there or just about to enter right. the room. And that's the kind of narrative that I want for the viewer to, to experience and, and, and to feel. And that's probably what you're most well-known for, too, that, that narrative of the portrait of the room without the people. Definitely the yeah. most successful. Yeah. I did a whole set of horses that I did portraits of horses. Yeah, those are great. I did uh, – I've done landscape. I've done Italy. I did a Vanishing America series. Um I did a luminosity series recently, last 10 years, where I'm photographing buildings at night and shooting color and light. Mm -hmm. um, and now I'm, you know, I'm doing all of the above in, in some form or another. What was the project that really allowed you to call yourself a fine art photographer and kind of stop doing commercial work? I never stopped. Never, you still no, do commercial work? No, hand in hand. no and, and, and my website is, no. Um, <laughs> but I would do commercial work still because the great thing about commercial work is that it's not your problem. It's not your structure. And for uh, uh, anybody who's artistic at all, you know, that's a great challenge. And it's a relief because you get to do things without having to think what it means. And um, second part of the question was about other photographers something. When did you really start calling oh, yourself yeah, a fine yeah. art oh, photographer? Uh, so was I didn't, it, was I it did, a job? or No, I, I didn't make the choice. What happened is, is I was selling horses. And they were doing well, and I was making money. And the commercial work was 9-11. The whole industry crashed, and yep. it stopped for a year. And so my choice, and I was doing really, you know, national stuff. Um, and I just, I had a choice of putting $10,000 into an ad every quarter for whatever magazine it was. I don't remember. Until the economy turned around and people would, or, you know, it would call you because they, you were in their sites. Or yep. I would just follow the horses, which is what I did. And then, so it wasn't ever a choice. It's just one got busier and more profitable and the other one stopped and, and then I didn't really hear from anybody. I think that's one of the things that's kind of interesting about being a artist. Sometimes you don't have a choice. The artwork takes you where it's supposed to go. You're just drawn to something and that's kind of what you have to focus on. Yeah, but I think, I think every photographer is, it starts as an artist. Because yeah. when you pick that camera up, Absolutely. You're not thinking about any of that. Right. You're thinking about the fun of it, the excitement. Right. They're the just looking at the film and learning. And I think that part is part of all of us, whether we're doing commercial or fine art. Right. And I do. I just did a album covers for a friend of mine, and it was great because it was just about future relics. Was the, basically the notion, and I just had fun with it, playing and tearing and painting and right. and shooting it through glass and under glass and break. You know, just for two or three days, that's all I did was play. Right. 
And then at the end, you start editing and they show a few things. So it was a definite a commercial job, but it was an opportunity to, to create. It's a commercial job, but at the same time, I was going to say it's so different from a commercial job if you're um, photographing for craft foods or something mm -hmm. because you don't get two or three days to paint and play and do whatever you want on that kind of project. So being, being a commercial artist is in many ways very freeing because you can go down roads that you don't necessarily know where they're going to go. Right. You have that luxury of experimenting. And when you're a fine artist, you're your own client, which is probably a terrifying yet freeing thing all at the same time. Yeah, but the, how do you get better? The way you, you get better, trying, the right? way you get better is you try new things right. when you're not getting, you know, paid. Right. Be it fashion, be it products, be it landscape, whatever it is, lifestyle, you get good at that. Right. And you also get good at making prints. I mean, digitally now, but right. but how you take the raw file or the negative and where you take it. Those things are important, more and more important, I think, for a photographer to have, to be able to do, to add something to the image. Let's talk about making prints, because first of all, Gary and I have had the luxury of going to your home and having a chance to go through your studio and your archives and look at all the prints. Printing is a huge area for you. It's such an important part of your process that a lot of people don't do in the digital world. Yeah, I I mean, I've always printed. When I right. first started in 73 or 74, I was doing photo silkscreens because I saw them at an art fair, and I thought, God, these are cool. Right. So I was always open to that. And, you know, I like the idea of being an artist, but I didn't have the patience to learn how to paint. So photography, you know, was sort of uh, my, my way of, right. of creating stuff. And it was more immediate. Yeah, it was definitely immediate. Right. I want to go back to when you were in 12 or a lot of galleries. What was that like? What sort of requirements did you have to supply them with prints or to make prints for them? Like, how busy were you just dealing with supplying the galleries? I was just making money and paying somebody to do it, and it was great because I had one person that worked for me full time, and that's all they did. Kept the edition straight, ordered the prints, uh, looked at the prints for me, uh, oversaw the mounting, creating everything, uh, paying the bills, and, and, yep. uh, and so it was great. I mean... I, I did all that stuff on my own, but I wasn't that successful, so it wasn't that big a deal. You know, to get two or three checks every two or three months was pretty easy to deposit. But when when you're <laughs> when, when you're when you're doing fine art and you're That's doing editions, it gets very complicated, and you're working on more than one. Yeah, but I, I liked it. I like the action. I like talking to people every day, and I like you know talking about shows and stuff like that. That was great because I feel isolated now, which is you know just part of. Uh, being with one gallery. You don't have those kinds of interchanges daily. Yeah. So when you were with that many galleries, how often would a, a print sell? And what what is what, what does that process look like? And also, a follow-up question. There's a lot of questions. Well, I do one at a time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I'm, I'm, I'm just so curious because I know nothing about the fine art and the process yeah. of like supplying them. And after walking through your house and seeing how many different um, you know, editions and frames and things that you had from galleries from you know decades past. Right. I'm just so curious. So what did that process look like when you would sell a print? And how many editions were there of that print? Oh, 50 total, three different sizes. So would there be one project in all those galleries? Or would all the galleries have a different project in it? Well, at some point I had seven traveling shows. So okay. they could pick what they wanted. But, but um, you know, they would, they would take a horse, usually have a group of, of, of the horses yeah but they could you know we were online and they had portfolios that i made 16 20 portfolios they're beautiful prints so they were showing people prints there and then so i would get orders come on the email and then uh we would update our um edition schedule that was fun because we were faxing out the the, uh, the changes <laughs> in the edition and, and there were 15 galleries out there going oh god he just sold that horse i so it was really exciting. I mean, right. I really, really, it was fun. It was, you know, you felt good. It was a rush. It, and, um, but I, I tried to stay away from that part. And all I wanted to do was shoot more horses or yep. go go to Cuba or, because that part is great because it funds the things that you want to do yep. and it funds freedom. So it, what was the amount when you made an edition? Was it all 50 or some 25? I did it on demand. On demand. Yeah, I had a so, printer that I, I printed most of the horses myself. So it's not 50 out of 50. 
You know what I mean? Like eventually, it would be. Eventually, it would be. Yeah. But would you stop at fifty, or would you keep going? Oh no, you can't do that. Yeah, no, you gotta. You have <laughs> to have yeah. a cap. Yeah, you know, well, that, and that's what, what I'm is. asking. Like, because that, that might be tempting. Like, if it's super high demand and you sold oh, fifty, totally tempting. And then like done. Oh, you're just totally you can tempting. never do it. No, it's totally tempting. But you you know, in the old days when photography started, people didn't do editions. It became something that because photography became an art form, you know, it became officially an art. Um, you know, you had to have scarcity, which was basically fabricated because photography was just, you went in the basement, crank, crank, crank. Yep. And, you know, I mean, uh, Ansel Adams sold 8,000 Moonrise. I mean, it, he didn't have an edition. Did he really? Yeah. He sold 8,000? Yeah, yeah. I and never all those knew guys, that all fact. Those, That's all, incredible. All those guys that have, you know, have one or, you know, Weston's Pepper sold, I don't know how many. He didn't sell that. He didn't print that many. But Adams did. And after oh. Adam. So, and then we were, you know, additioned. Um, so um, it became scarce, but the scarcity was basically fabricated to, to, to mimic being an art instead yeah. of something that was so democratic. Totally makes me want to know the value of that. Had Moonrise only been done in an edition of 50, what would each print be worth? 150,000. Yeah. What are they 600, go for now? 000. I don't even know. Do you know? Yeah. About 18. 18 grand? Yeah. Maybe yeah, a little more. It, it's probably going up a little bit. At one point, it was sixteen. Uh, the first time it sold at auction, it sold for sixteen seven. Yeah. And people were running down the street with their moonrises. Where do I get my sixteen thousand dollars? And and so <laughs> when thousand people running so down when the they street. all ran, so when they all you know they all were uh, visible, we all realized that you know that there were a lot of prints out there and they right. weren't as valuable. Valuable. Paul Strand printed two, and I think they're a million. Yeah. So I I think. If it was one, it'd be a million, which is crazy. Yeah. It's just a nuts. Easily. I mean, I was so I remember the first one of the first times I showed work was at a fair at WashU, and I had a picture up that was, uh, I don't know, sort of a sequel thing, ten pictures on a frame, mm -hmm. and she said, "How much is it?" And I said, "It's forty dollars." She said, forty dollars? Are you kidding? <laughs> Who do you think you are?" And she walked away. That was my that was my first. First show. Man. Little did she know yeah. who she was dealing that, with. That, that is worth $55 today. <laughs> <laughs> Can you compare selling prints in the market, you know, late 80s, early 90s to, to today? What's changed? How, how do people, are people still buying prints? Yeah, I mean, um, I've gotten to the point now where I can't afford my own prints, which sounds great, <laughs> but it's not really because I liked it before when they were manageable. But by going scarcity... By being exclusive with one guy, um, the prices have you know are, are, have risen, and so that that sort of changed the whole game. Um, that, that's very different. There's also many, many, many more galleries, many more art fairs, um, many more photographers that are making a living, which is fantastic. I mean, fine art, um, but most of even most of them are doing uh, commercial work too. Lots of them, and it's interesting work. You know, they're 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 they're. Uh, their commercial work because it, it, it borrows from their, their fine art vision. I'm actually always surprised at the art fairs how many photographers there are oh, that yeah. are that are selling there. And you know, a lot of them obviously that might be the only place where they're making money. Um, in terms of being in the art fair circuit. Art fairs um, are critical. that's one they're thing. Lucrative. They're much more critical. They didn't exist <clears throat> twenty five years ago. Right. And now you if you're a gallery you spend sixty to a hundred thousand dollars for the booth. Oh wow. Yeah. But you get what you, what Art fairs are these? Uh, 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 let's see, the APAD show and uh, the Armory show, Basel, Miami, the big shows. Yeah. There's not that many. Six, be... So you, 60 grand just to get in the door, and you get, how big is your booth? Uh, 20 by 10. Wow. And that's that's a good-sized booth. Actually. But all the lights are like $1,000. <laughs> you know, they just, card, it's yeah. amazing how much it is. But, but, the, the, but the point is that they also get, about you know anywhere from forty to seventy thousand people that go th in front of their yeah. booth, and you don't they, they're in, this gallery's in New York. You know they don't get, yeah, they get a couple people a day maybe. It's not it's uh, you know it's not like there's a lot of traffic. So that's where a lot of the sales are. Or at least that's how you, a lot of the collectors are yeah. seeing work. Yeah. So I got to be honest. When I'm probably walking through a lot of these shows, I will not know the difference between a gray print and a, a, a print for $5. So like, how are you attributing like, Oh, that print is worth a thousand dollars or a hundred thousand dollars. Like, what do you look for? And like, well, some of it's knowledge of who they are, you know, and, but you're right. You can look at two pictures and I mean, sometimes, um, 
the, that five dollar picture is, is fantastic. I mean, it's the the the, the million dollar picture started off as a five dollar picture, and it, it and 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 its value rose because of the strength of it. Yeah. So, uh, well, it, the problem with the, the fine art world is that it's subjective. Art is subjective. Um, and what it, the value of a piece of art is what somebody is willing to pay for it, period. Like you know? that, wasn't, didn't a potato just sell for like $5 million, a picture of a potato? I, I don't know. Does that ring a bell? That doesn't ring a bell with me. It, it, but doesn't, it doesn't surprise that, me. It doesn't mean that it, it couldn't. Yeah. You know? It must be some. Or the, uh, uh, what's the photographer's name? The, 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 he shot the light in Arizona coming through the canyons, and that sold for like $4 million. Really? Yeah. Man, it, nothing? Nothing, no one? No. no I just one. read the title. Right. <laughs> yeah, read the whole well, I didn't read the article. article. <laughs> I didn't read the whole article. A million dollar potato. That must be some potato. Well, but it is. Art is very subjective. I, yeah. I spent time yeah. at... So it sounds like uh, one of our producers is saying one potato sold for five million. One million. Five, five potatoes, one million. <laughs> it was only $200,000. Who is the photographer of the potato? So they're looking it up. Kevin Abish. Irish, Irish visual artist. Is it a photograph or is Never it a even heard of it. Well, Photograph of a potato. This, how, what year was this made? Not, no, no. What year was the, the image made? I think currently, wasn't it? I don't know. See, that's hype about the artist. It's not a, you know. Well, no. Right, so how do you, how do you, how do you, how do you hype yourself hype? up as an <laughs> artist? $2 million. Dollars. Yeah, like how is that guy hyping himself up? Is that just in the art circle? Yeah, a lot of media? it is. I, I, well, I don't know. I live in the middle of the middle here, and so I don't have those kind of connections. And there, I've always wondered, and my wife and I've talked about it. What it would have happened if I moved to New York? I think I would have been maybe better known, but I wouldn't be as good, because when you're here and you're working alone without that noise, then you get better. But um, you know, New York is, uh, is, a, is a buzzing place, and, and you get connections that way, and you meet people, and you show them their work, and they have a show, and you're part of it. And somebody's doing an article, and, you know, somebody goes, hey, you ought to go by Eastman's studio. He's doing some cool things. And then you're written up. And it's all about that sort of buzz. Well, you know. It, it doesn't happen here, but because of the Internet, it doesn't have you don't have to go there. Yeah. You can do it here, and, you know, just so you're, you know, you know, work uh, social media enough that the get the images out there and a website that's good, then, you, you know, you can do, you can do okay. So Any, you, so, go ahead, go ahead. No, no, Rob, you go no, ahead. No, I just, I'm, kind, I'm kind of fascinated by the fact that you said you, you don't feel that in New York you would have been as good. You might have been more well-known, but not as good. So I went to New York once, yeah. and I was there a couple of months thinking about moving there. Yeah. And all I did for two months was show my work to somebody who said, this stuff is great, you've got to show it to so-and-so. That happened 25 right. times, and at the end of 25 times, I was I was in the same place. And you realize right. that if if that carrot is in front of your nose every day, it's going to be really hard not to try to chase it. Right. And that place that the the, the big you know New York is a big carrot. Yeah. It's where everyone. No, I, I love hearing this. I think it's great because I feel, personally feel that there's so much talent here in St. Louis and and in the Midwest. And and to hear you say that, I think is amazing because it, it's a testament to the fact that it's about the process, um, and you know, not that dangling carrot, not where you are. You have a different process because you were here in St. Louis and you were kind of, um, I don't want to say stuck, but you you were in a location where you weren't constantly surrounded by the hype of the art community. So it forced you into doing something that you would have done differently had you been in New York. And I would have done done for me and right. not, not too many influences. I never liked influences. When I began photography, I never looked at any photographs because I found myself going out and looking for those photographs. It became imprinted on me as a great photograph, and I, I have to find that bulldozer on the top of a hill or whatever it was. Right. right. And that's a mistake. Yeah, but I think a lot of people do that when they're oh, starting sure. out. In fact, um, I sure. had a photographer say to me when I was just starting out, he looked at my book. Um, it was in my college book. I was just getting in the business and he looked at me and said, stop photographing other people's art. Cause I was going out and I was photographing graffiti walls and other stuff. And I'm like, and it was the first time that I'd kind of rap on the head hit me. I'm like, mm -hmm. yeah, I'm not, I'm not photographing what I see. I'm photographing what others have done, which you can photograph what others don't have done, but it has to be an interpretation of what they've right. done. It has to be yeah. your interpretation. It's yeah. a different thing. Yeah, definitely. I, I don't know. I mean, 
I, I've done a fair amount of that. Like I've right. I, I've done a fair amount of Rothko's on walls, rusted walls right. that look like it. But I, I don't see the problem in some ways. Right. It's it's just that you don't want it to get in the way of your finding your vision. Right. And then once you have a vision, whatever you do, if you do a nude, if you do a if you do a wall, if you do, exactly. then you're going to go through that part of you that makes images. Right. And but I needed him to tell me that. Yeah. And no, it, it was part of my process, you know? Yeah. It could be totally different for somebody you, else. You probably got there quicker than I did. It took me years to figure out that, I you know. Because <laughs> well, that's, that's the one thing about learning. But there's one thing about teaching yourself. You know, you, you do reinvent a wheel. I mean, it, it wobbles funny until it, you know, right. it works its way through. Right. But it's good to do that. It's good to, you know, start at the beginning and figure out why... You try this and what worked here and what didn't work there. Yeah, it's great because it also comes back around. One of the things that, that I thought was really cool about being in your studio, in particular the, the one in the basement, your working studio, you're going back and revisiting processes from 10, 15, 30 years ago and incorporating them, looking at them in new ways. So something that you've experimented with before is now bringing new life to the art that you're doing today. Yeah, it's, you know, to me it's sort of like a soup. You just put these little things in you know, that you've done. And eventually they come back, and, you know, flavor your view of how you see things. Even and, if they were total failures before, they can come back as uh, successful, uh, you know, more than likely. I think you learn more from failures than you do successes because sure. you never know why it went right. But, <laughs> but you usually have a pretty good idea why it went wrong. And then you like kind of get in the situation again. You go, oh, I'm not going there. I know what's going to happen. That's a good quote. You never know why it went right. Do you have any big failures that stick out when you look back on and would have done differently? Um, I was talking to a friend today. There was a there was a uh, a photograph that I saw really early in my career, and uh, I didn't know how it was. It was a Union Station under the glass shed with glass falling down and light coming in. I stood in front of it and I thought, I can't take a picture because I have no clue how to deal with this. I know there's something there, but I can't. I don't. I don't know how to do it. So that's a regret because um, it's a regret because I didn't take a picture, but it's also something that to this day I think about. I can see that thing in my eyes, and it's you sort of get it out. yeah, and it's sort of like I know how to do it now. Yeah. So I, I I I've actually you know visualized myself where I would stand, how I would, what camera I'd use, what you know how I'd print it, et cetera, et cetera. But it, it, it's funny. I, I don't have many regrets. I mean, I regret I dropped my phase one. <laughs> how'd you how'd you oh, drop it uh, it was it was the, the lock oh, on the on the on the on the quick release thing i had it for sure and went boom so let, let's get in the gear oh, what do you what rough. are you what are you shooting on and walk me through the cameras you've used for 25 years oh god nikon leica hasselblad Sinar. um phase one which one, like which ones and why? Um, oh God! Well, you're big, you're a big large <laughs> format guy. I mean, you've yeah. shot a well, ton of stuff, yeah, for, but, particularly the landscape has yeah. all been four by five. Or, but, did you do five by seven or, or four by five? No, always four by five. I did a little eight ten. Yeah, that was fun. I uh, loved eight ten. Yeah, it was so it's great about eight ten is that you know when you look through a viewfinder, you're looking through a viewfinder. When you look through an eight foot ten eight ten <laughs> ground glass, you're looking at a TV set. It's a picture looking, frame. It's yeah. just unbelievable. But it it's so oh, it's so heavy and so yeah cumbersome um so let's see so so that was the first view camera was a sinar and it i like the four by five because i was i i didn't like the fact that when i was doing work and composition was so strong and important to me that you couldn't control the lines and with a view camera you can by raising in, in the front you know fall and rise this perspective is yeah that's that's what those cameras are built for so i shot with wide angle yeah. lens close in and i made sure everything was square before Photoshop, right. and um, I, I liked I, I liked film a lot. I liked I liked the I liked the I, I wound up um, I liked printing my own. I was printing those things on four by fives early on. I did one thing I did, which is smart I think, is I did a trade with a lab where I bought half an eight by ten and larger, so I could print there for free. So I could print all my own stuff without having a, a color dark. So you shot all ne all color neg. Yeah, in the beginning. Okay. Yeah, black and white color, black and white neg. Trans? No, never trans. Really? Yeah, it scared me. It was that one one <laughs> exposure, and you were if you didn't hit it, you're like screwed. Seriously, wait, seriously, you've never shot on on trans? I shot on trans commercially. Yeah. Okay. 
Wow. Yeah. All, right. all, all the studio stuff. Is oh, cool. yeah, yeah. All right. Commercially, you had to. Yeah. What the yeah. hell is trans? Transparency. Yeah. Yeah. But so, what, I'm yeah, sorry. Well, transparency. Yeah, so it's, color, it. it's, it's color slide. It's <laughs> not. Lost, completely lost. <laughs> it's the opposite of negative. So obviously. When, Still lost. Slides. Uh, you don't know what a negative slide. is. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> Come on. Keep humor me here. Talk to me like I'm five. I am. Yeah. <laughs> 35 millimeters slides. Do you know what those are? Yeah, yeah. Well, right. it, that material is transparent and it's a positive. And you can do big. You can do big film. You can do eight by ten transparency. Negative. You, you shoot a negative. It's a negative. Which and you then, have to print into a positive. Into you know, print it with an enlarger onto a. What are the benefits of either one? Well, the transparency. Well, what do you the get out of, was, get out of them? Transparency was all color. Black right. and white was um, not color was in, in in color film it wasn't very sharp so the transparency had an advantage of being really sharper than a negative right. so if you're using a two same formats 35 millimeter and a 120 millimeter you, you you would have to use uh to get the same clarity you could you'd have to use a bigger negative to get the same I'm just clarity. barely hanging on. <laughs> <laughs> just barely hanging on. Think about it this way. Co color negative, which was the most common and was cheaper, did not have the sharpness or the clarity that dirt, that trans yeah. did, okay, that transparencies did. Um, transparency is far more expensive. It, it, it also had a better application in commercial processes because you could process it and immediately show your client. Where with a negative, you'd have to develop the, the negative, then you'd have to go into a dark room and you'd have to print the prints to show the client. And then those prints would have to be scanned in order to get into um, whatever kind of terrible. publication. Yeah, terrible. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. And the and the, the scanning processes back then were so totally and completely I, I tell different. you what, if film was still around today and there was nothing digital, I wouldn't be here. <laughs> that I know. I wouldn't be here. Because you need it instantly. I am and to so me. impatient. Man, <laughs> back in the day, though, film, you could get it back in two hours. Yeah, no, that was instant. Hours, that Wow. Oh yeah, they turned it around quickly. Yeah, we would run to the lab. We'd drop what if there was it off, someone in front of you? A, you would tell them it was a rush. And what if and someone else rushed? Double rush. Double rush it. So you got to double down on what you're paying. Yeah, them? yeah. yeah. Because but it, depends, the it depends on where it is in the process. Because you can't just jump in. I mean, the the, the, the machine had a certain. Well, it had a process, and they they would be able to put the and Walter the White racks. in the back cooking oh. up your photos. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you one yes. thing about transparencies, okay? This might get your attention. You could ch you charge for each transparency, and yeah. each four by five transparency was like pretty expensive. It was like right. five bucks then, and you shot hundreds of them, but you didn't charge them five; you charged them ten. So you wound yes. up making all the money on a commercial shoot came from your markup from your film, and not your hours. Or you charged them twenty. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so would you intentionally yeah, mess yeah. the light? Would you intentionally shoot more? Was that, was that a problem? No, 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 no. You, you had to cover your ass. You you, you yeah. had to shoot it, you but you'd, you'd squeeze a few in. No, yeah. you didn't know. <laughs> you'd squeeze. You'd squeeze. You'd squeeze a few in, wouldn't you? No, I would. Come on. No, uh, so think about it. You didn't know what you got. No. If you were doing splash shots, but you could the, intentionally like point the light like a little bit that way. <laughs> be like, oh. That wasn't it. No, because it would. It took forever. Actually, we were, twenty bucks back we were, in nineteen eighty three. That's like we were in the studio till midnight now. almost every night. Anyway, we were there for ever because it took the process. Took you so weren't long. there forever. You were there till midnight. <laughs> I, what do I do, Michael? I don't know. What do I, what do, I do? Where do we go from here? I'm attached here? to this guy to the hip. And like, I, what do I? What do I do with this? I, I have no yeah. idea. <laughs> we I all wish, have a cross to bear. All right, let, no, let's fast. Let's fast forward to digital. So you're shooting on phase now, right? Yeah. What do you love about it? What do you miss about film? Well, I I didn't. What I didn't like about digital was how long it took me to figure it out. It took over a year. I mean, I just, uh, and, and I was yeah. so comfortable with film. I think it takes everyone at least a year to figure out. Yeah, but right? I didn't, I thought, you know, I know I've got 40 something years of photography. Yeah, and, yeah. and this the, is going to be restarting. Yep. The yeah. transition from film to digital was, was really, really Plus difficult. when I started, it was very different than it is oh, five yeah. years later because, you know, it was impossible to focus. The, the depth of field was like ridiculous. What do you terrible. mean I have to shoot at f eight? I've been right. shooting at f thirty two for thirty years. You're right. telling me you got to shoot. Wow. Colors were really red. Yeah, the, I, the cameras were you know what two point three or three point three megapixels if you were lucky. And I that, didn't, that was a big camera. And I'm doing eight foot by ten foot prints, so I, yeah, I'm not going to do, do it. Yeah, you couldn't do it. The reason I did digital was because I was printing six by eight foot print of Cuba, and 
the way I did do it in the old days was to mask it off and to use an enlarger and expose it. And what wound up happening was it became a parallelogram because the masking was just slightly off. So I couldn't get it square. Uh-huh. And I thought, oh, we, there's no way we can do this. And somebody said, you could go digital and then you could do it. You don't need to do the taping and the negatives. And, and so that was the first time I did a digital print from a scan. So you you couldn't get it. You, it was a parallelogram because you were going up so large. You couldn't get everything perfectly level. It, it was perfectly square. Yeah, it was the right from between the lens to no no the film the plate the film. So I was printing a pr- piece on a piece of white right. sheet that's six by eight feet, and I had borders around it because right. I wanted to keep the borders. Yeah, there's a curve to and, the film and actually too. With the you emulsion. do that by using cotolith and, right. and and manually trying to square it up so that. You get a white edge. Barely hanging on. <laughs> no, Barely I'm hanging on. No, I'm, 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 I'm in the conclusion no, here. So I'm, basically, I'm just, the square... If I'm the, interested. I'm just trying to figure no, out what the hell no, no, it's coming. is going on. It's coming. <laughs> Stay with me. If the square is off by a 64th of an inch, right. which you to the eye you can't tell, no problem. When you blow it up six by eight foot, it's like an inch, inch off. And so this thing that's supposed to be bordered perfectly and square looks like you know it's it's wrong and i just couldn't have it i mean it was just imperfect and when you do a print you want it to be perfect so i went to digital and um from then on i was shooting four by five bought a scanner was scanning and learned photoshop learned how to print became a, a, a immeasurably better printer because of photoshop i was doing all the same things using the little the the you know the uh burning and dodging tools in photoshop and you know, just treating it exactly like I did in, a, in an analog darkroom. And I got better and better and learned all other kinds of things that I could do. And now my prints are terrific. I went to digital because they stopped making ready loads for film, which were these expendable. Yeah, I, really? Yeah, I, because I wasn't going to – it was a it was a system where you didn't – you just bring a box of film in one holder instead of – uh, 25 holders. Again, he's not hanging on. Yeah, no, he's yeah. there. I think oh, he's there. I got there. this problem. You, you got holders? Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> out of here. So, <laughs> you so, do not know ready loads. So, I, I didn't, so, the, so they didn't have ready loads. I'm not going to walk around carrying wooden holders. And I said, I'm going to go digital. And then that's when I started looking. Took a year to look. And um, What and, year is this? Oh, God. Uh, 2012, 13. All right. Yeah. Not too, not too long ago. So yeah. You went digital pretty late. Oh yeah, because I, I saw what digital did. I, I yeah. those are terrible pictures. The the early Canon thirty five millimeter. I, I could never get anything sharp. Think about how large he's going with his work too. I mean, when you're talking about the, some of the early digital cameras, there's no way they could blow up that big. No, it's just thirty they, megabyte. They, well, now with that attitude, they Ralph. never they never had the resolving power. They didn't. Just they couldn't do it. Thirty megabyte. <laughs> the phase one that I have now, the hundred back yeah. it's, it's it's a 300 megabyte file yeah it's huge and i it's it's, it's stunningly printed big so just, you will like this i think it's crazy but sony is now developing a 150 megabyte or megapixel um sensor which i think is nuts i can't on, imagine on the little camera or it's going to be a back on it'll on, be medium format yeah I, yeah I want a little camera that has a, about a hundred That'll probably come. I, I'm, I'm, Have you shot with come. the A7R2? The I looked at it. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I want to have a I'd camera. I love it. I want to have a camera love that's it. big enough because I still think the the Canon for really printing isn't isn't giving me enough. I can go twenty by twenty four maybe, but it starts to fall apart. So I want a little more. And the you know I, I don't know. I, I like the idea of hand shoot hand held shooting. Yeah, yeah, I I haven't done that, and, and I think it's an interesting way to 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 see after being on a tripod for 40 years. Yeah, it's, you know, people listening probably that might make their head explode to, to, to hear the fact that you've never really had the opportunity to shoot handheld. You know, it, 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 your process is totally different. You have to be on a tripod. Yeah, and I hate it. I mean, yeah. it's like, you know, it's like carrying, it's it's carrying somebody with you all the way through right. life. You know, it's just big and it's bold. Even the light ones are big eventually. Right. They're heavy. I read a, a headline today, not the article, of course, but just the headline <laughs> that right. Sony just took over Nikon for number two in terms of the size of a, a camera company. Doesn't huh. surprise me at so, all. Rob, as someone that has given up Hasselblad yeah. for Sony, shh, 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 shh. don't, shh, shh. don't, 
Don't shush me. Don't you shush yes, me, bro. Go ahead with your question. What do you think about that? Like, obviously, it you... doesn't surprise me at all. You know, Sony. Sony is a very intelligent company, and they're run by a very group of smart people. For a long time, they've been making the sensors that are in everybody else's cameras. Yeah. Um, you know, if you crack open most cameras today. Um, you'll find a Sony chip inside of it. So it doesn't surprise me at all. Cause if, and they've had partnerships with people for a long time, for multiple years, uh, on, a, on a variety of different cameras. It doesn't surprise me that they have just taken over and said, all right, we can build our own stuff better. Let's do it. Um, I love my Sony. Honest to God, I love that camera. It's a great little camera. Um, I'm blown away by the picture quality that comes out of it. Not that I hate my Hasselblad, because I don't. I, I, every camera has a different purpose. That but Sony, big. That Hasselblad. Oh, it's big. huge. It's and you know it, that thing is hard to handhold. I you know, even so. at, as a medium format, you put a one twenty macro on there. You shoot at six thousand, it's still soft. <laughs> I do. Well, yeah, I it's, do. With it's phase a, one. It's a heavy, heavy it. camera. Um, and when you when you when you pull weight out of something, well, you know, I mean, you've seen me with the Sony. The Sony has freed me to shoot in a very different way because I no longer yep. am stuck on a camera stand. I no longer have a Phoba stand with a 12-pound camera on it. Yeah, 12, pound cam- 12 pounds is not that big unless you're holding it all day long. Um, that gets exhausting. Not even all day long. Just, Just an half hour. hour. Yeah. Half hour. Yeah. It's, yeah. You're, you're toast. Yeah, normally I'd, you know, reflecting back, seeing you using the Hasselblad just to find your perspective, then it's like, okay, I think this is it. Then you drag the camera stand over, put it up, then put it on, lock it off, and then you're not quite right. Yeah, it's so cumbersome. You're, waste, you're wasting a lot it's of It's cumbersome. I, I, I really did find that the Sony freed me. I was able to do the work that I do faster. Um, I was more engaged with it because mm-hmm. I, could, I could move to different locations. I could find more spots. I could explore. I could spl- explore better. I mean, that's the bottom line. I could explore what I do um, faster, quicker, better than I can with a bigger camera that slows me down. The thing, too, is that when you... When you get that place and you put your tripod up, and you're you're basically got cement shoes, you don't yeah, move. Right. Maybe you move an inch an inch. Right. But when you are walking with a camera up to something that you're interested in, it, you know suddenly you're in a different place. And right. then you move a few feet over to the right, and suddenly you're in a different place. It's like when I sh- shoot and somebody's driving, even if they're going ten miles an hour, I feel like they're going sixty because that yeah. idea of walking slowly and seeing how everything changes. Because um, everything in three dimensional is going to overlap in different ways, it is is you know is is about seeing. It's yeah, about it's totally about seeing. It's it's interesting. We have a friend, a guy named Rob Timko, who is a really interesting photographer, and his work blows me away. Um, it's just so funky and it's so different. So and and when I've analyzed it, I've thought, you know, I could never shoot like Rob. And the reason I think it goes down to is because I have been tethered to a phobo stand for. 25, 26 years. I've never had that freedom the way he has to just kind of see the moment, grab it, and go. Like it's it's almost like this um, this little bit of I'm going to capture that and I'm going to move on. Where yeah, you're locked down. You can maybe move an inch or two. You're really kind of yeah. constricted in the commercial world, at least the way that I have worked and my clients um, have needed me to work. Uh, it, it just it fascinates me that there are different types of photographers out there. Um, that I just admire so much because I can't achieve what they can achieve, yeah. and it frustrates me. No, no, me too. <laughs> you know, you you know, you want to you want to be able to use all all the tools. Yeah, and it's the one that's not open to us. But I, that talks about the process too. Like my process has been, I've been so trained to do this one thing because I've been doing it for so long. I need to break myself. I so, guess. well, that camera's a, a start. A good way. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I, 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 I'm you know sort of gridlocked. I always have been. I mean, I'm very formal in the way I present a picture. Yeah, um, and I, I've looked at I look at a lot of I don't look at a, lot, at a lot of photography, but I look at a lot of painting and a lot of sort of multimedia right. stuff now. And you know, it's sort of interesting. But I think I'm starting to kind of go off off square a little bit. Sort of getting I'm, I'm discovering after 45 years of the diagonal. <laughs> oh, really? After 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 like a 64th off or like a, you're not off. a level anymore. <laughs> no, I'm how, like, far, how far like, off we talking? Like eight here? inches. <laughs> oh shit! That's no, but I, but I'm but I'm but I'm starting to look at things differently because you know I, let's just talk about painting. Rothko was a square grid, but other people you know uh Rauschenberg had things all over and right. there was a kind of a half a stance and, and and not as considered as like the way i approach things for instance but i think that it's just a way 
to make photographs by turning a little bit, by showing a diagonal, by um, instead of square on the way I was I trained myself to look at it like a painting, coming from an angle and getting these deep spaces. I'm able to control them in a way without the grid because the grid's there. Mm-hmm. It's underneath there. And so I'm working in some level when I'm composing and going out of that. Right. And I'm, I'm, I'm talking, I'm looking at proportions. I'm looking at uh, uh, tangents on the edge. I'm looking, you yeah. know, all kinds of things. And it's just, it, it's more satisfying to me. I, I, I don't want to make the same photographs my whole life. I want to change, even if it's not for the better. Right. You know, and, and there are times where after you do a good series of work, you struggle to find another good series of work. Yeah, I think it'll eventually be for the better. Because when, when you when you break yes. your habits and you start to go down new roads, there are times where absolutely the, the work is crap. It's just not there yet. No. But you have to develop it. You're not there yet. So um, kind of breaking your habits and, and uh, exploring new avenues allows you to eventually be successful yeah. at, and cr- you know create the images that you want. Well, and create new stuff, and it's more complicated. Yeah. More My whole thing about the art of any kind is it's about layers of ideas. If it's one thing, it's not much. You know, it's like a one little one-line joke. Yeah. But if there are multiple things going on, then it's more interesting. There's more to explore. There's more. Uh, and I think that uh, I, I think that's significant when you're doing things differently. You have all this sort of new options. Gets back to putting time in, you know, yeah. time behind the camera. Yeah. What do you like most about your work today? The work I'm doing today? Yeah. Oh God, I don't know if I do. <laughs> it, it, Why not? It, well, lately it's not go. It's not. I mean, I'm feeling like the we just talked about some of the work I've just done was not, you know, things I thought would work didn't work. Um, I guess I really like printing now, and I think that's where I'm sort of focused. I'm, I haven't been traveling as much, and so I'm looking at old negatives, and I'm printing them in different ways. I think that um, with everybody having a phone. And, and a screen to look at images, the idea of having a piece of art object in the world that's that's not a window of, like a photo is, but a, yep. something else. I'm very interested in exploring that, exploring, alter- I'm doing some light uh, sculptures that have photographic imagery and transparency. And, and what, are, what do you mean by light sculptures? Well, they're backlit transparencies. Remember what trannies? Yeah, yeah trannies. trannies. <laughs> I know you, go, you guys like your trannies. Trans. Trans, not trannies. Trans. Trans. Whatever, it's all the same. Trans. And so I'm printing them um, big, and they're layered with uh, glass in between them, and they're very three. <laughs> you got to fix that. <laughs> well, I can't take that seriously. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like it gives you just an instant little pro, and you look like a 1950s. <laughs> lady <laughs> you know the hair that comes has up has anybody ever said that to you you look no, like a 1950s no. lady you, know, you guys got seriously. he's got a big white goatee and you tell me he looks like a 1950s lady that's uh, yeah, funny not what, I'm, not what I'm trying to go for I think right. not what I'm looking for uh, I forgot where we were <laughs> we all did we're in the 1950s there's a lady and a beard <laughs> No, we were talking about the uh, the transparencies are trans. We were talking about oh, the, the light the, sculpture. The, yeah, the backlit sculpture. Back, there's the backlight. Right. Yeah, so it's like a it's like a, basically a big McDonald's sign, but instead yeah. of it's backlit. Like a dirt trans. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And they're multi layers. Dirt training. <laughs> the multi layers. Yeah, no. Trans, when dirt, when trans, we were in your yeah. basement, you were taking us through your whole process, and I was incredibly impressed with with your just entire house you have this amazing you know huge three-story house and your whole basement is like it's like your playground for yeah. like printing and creating you have like all these different projects you're working on i was just like wow like this is amazing so like you had something that you were working on that was turning uh almost like a it was like a barber shop oh uh, yeah, yeah, type, yeah 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 yeah, yeah, like, yeah like where did that inspiration come from oh I was thinking of light fixtures, I was, and I was thinking, how do you do lights? And I think I saw a hanging pendant somewhere that was that sh- cylinder shape. Yeah. And I thought it'd be really cool to put a transparency around it and see what it looked like. And it looked cool. And then I thought, I, I think it'd really be cool to put another transparency around it, but move it out a little. Yeah. And and I thought, well, that's better. And then I did a third one, and pretty soon it, it, it became like three-dimensional. It was It was something that I had never seen before, and it was just me playing and saying, you know, I wonder if I do this, what will happen? It, it almost always starts that way. 
and and you know that didn't work. Maybe I'll do this. So I'm I'm that's what I'm probably my best skill is coming up with ideas. And correct me if I'm wrong, but don't you have a patent on something? Patent, patent pending. Patent pending yeah. on that whole process. Yes. Yeah, so forget all the things I told you about. <laughs> <laughs> Can't copy that. <laughs> no, it's been done before. Yeah. I mean, you know, people have done rear projected transparencies and they've done sculpture with it. It's just I, I just have some I had some ideas and have, have been playing with plexiglass and layers and object instead of a print. And um, so it, 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 like you talked about earlier, it was from almost 15 years ago, right. a show I had of, of uh, windows um, that were shot and um, mounted on plexiglass and on the wall. And there were multi-layers of these windows. And they were really c- cool studies. So that was 10, 15 years yeah, ago. Yeah, some of those processes come back around. You know? it, it reminds me, too, of liquid light. You remember liquid light? Mm-hmm. I used to um, break glass and paint liquid light on it and then print on the glass Wait, and what the stack, the, liquid light? stack the glass up like I'd stick it literally in pieces of wood and stack it up so you could kind of see through it's it's like cool. a gel that glows liquid light it was an emulsion so a photographic emulsion you could that paint you, on you could paint on to anything you could paint it onto a surface and then run it through the photographic printing process never and been and so lost in a podcast <laughs> 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 liquid light was cool i used to love that stuff yeah i never Play did with, the, I, I never did it Oh, I play with that stuff yeah. all the time. My dad and I both were really into that. Yeah, it was life. cool stuff. Yeah, it was interesting. Do they still make it? Can we get some on Amazon? I, you know, I have no idea. Hey, MJ, will you that order be, some of this yeah, on Amazon right now? Let's look for Liquid Light. It's really, really make cool sure stuff. Make sure Amazon Prime. But we're going to have to come over to Michael's house and play yeah. that. Yeah. You know, I, 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 got a, I got a kit for cyanotypes. Oh, awesome. And I've been thinking about that a lot. But I don't know. You know, I don't want to just take an old ne- negative and do it. I want to do something yeah. that I'm thinking, hey, this would be cool as a cyanotype. Because otherwise, I, I think it's... Like, I what mean, do you think would be cool as a cyanotype? Thinking That now. is the question. <laughs> What's the cyanotype? Uh, <laughs> Come on, guys. I'm five no, years old here. It's a non-silver print <laughs> from the 19th century. Nine Non-silver print from the 19th century. So basically, instead cyanotype. of using silver right. gelatin, which is what black and white right. is, yep. it was cyan that was light sensitized, put on a piece, painted on a piece of big paper, and put a negative on top, or... And put it out in the sun for like an hour, and then have a developer, and it would come out. It was pretty cool. It's cool stuff. It's beautiful. It has a, a deep, deep blue, cyan. black and white cast. Yeah. So it, it it picks up the cyan. So it literally, um, you know, the photographic process, black and white printing, is used with a silver, silver-based photographic emulsion, and this is using um, cyan color effectively as an emulsion. So in, instead of the Silver and it just it produces really really beautiful prints. Yeah, very cool. abstract and really beautiful color. What are your favorite type of prints? Hmm. Is there such a thing? No, I don't. I don't know. I I like color. I like color prints. See prints. That's what I print now. I haven't done the the uh, inkjet on trying to be like a photographic, but that's where it's com- going to because there's just not that many. Uh, Dark rooms that are going to be able to do regular prints. It'll all be inkjet. But I, I do like printing myself, so I do like the inkjet. I'm, I'm doing that a lot. What uh, are you using to, to print? Epson, like a big Epson. And um, I've been using hammer mule paper, which is so damn expensive, but it's beautiful. It's gorgeous. They're kind of the yeah. best, though, right? It's, it's, but it's ridiculous. It's like I do 2024, and it's like eight bucks. I'm going, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm printing this thing on a roll. How can it be that expensive? But it is, and it's beautiful. So it, it, out of pocket for you, it's eight dollars to print a twenty by twenty-four. I think that's what I figured. One hundred eighty for forty feet. Hmm. So, so if you had your choice now, that seems high to me. Doesn't? Yeah, does, I don't know. Doesn't seem bad to me. I'm cheap when it comes to buying. Think about it. You charge ten dollars for you know four by five, five, but then it's, you know the negative. No, no, I'm. Getting ten dollars more for it, and with the net, with the paper, I got to pay. Uh, okay, all right. Now I see what you're. No, I, I don't know. I just I, I I've never um, I, I just the idea of spending a lot of money to to do what I do, and because black and white was very cheap to do, and when I was doing my own color, mm-hmm. it was it was pretty reasonable. But these this inkjet is a monopoly, and those papers are overpriced. Yeah, yeah. We just buy new printers instead of getting new ink. You can always find a printer on sale. Sucks, but well, they don't care. They yeah. that's like a delivery device. I know. Right? There's always they, a printer yeah. on sale. And I'm like, wow, the printer's cheaper than the ink. We ha- we actually have done that. We actually have bought printers in, because it's cheaper than 
replacing buying the replacement inks. Oh, it's like yeah. what? How about polluting the world? I don't get it. Well, yeah. <laughs> so, what what do you want to photograph now, and what's keeping you from doing that? What's your dream right now? Um, I I think what I want to do is some more of those interiors that are portraits. You know, without, without people, I, the U.S. country, anywhere. I I would do it in North St. Louis if I could find a suitable place. The difficult thing is finding them, and I've I've had about. You know, I've had really good luck in Cuba. I've had great luck in Italy. I've had not so good luck in Lisbon. I wasn't so successful in in Mexico City. Um, so, um, so I in New Orleans, I, I I've got some good photographs from there, but but not the kind of thing I I really want to do. I don't know if what I'm looking for now doesn't exist. What are you looking for now? Well, Cuba was very specific in 1999. It was frozen in time for 50 years. It was beautiful Caribbean color, incredibly uh, beautiful French and Spanish contemporary furniture, 50s furniture, and these beautiful homes that were crumbling down with beautiful artwork on the walls and paintings and, you know, photographs of the family, a story. And those things are what is the most successful photographs that I've made. But I don't know if it was a one-off and I'll never find it again. Or I need to take you to Moldova. You well, lose your let's, mind. Let's ask our audience to start to be location scouts oh, for us. They could send please. in no, some No, some seriously. Images. Like, so yeah. I, I, I lived in Moldova for three years, Eastern Europe. And that country, um, among many things, has been rated as the most depressing uh, country in the world. Um, it's the poorest country in Eastern Europe. At A few years ago, it was the only communist country. So I got a lot of access to a lot of different villages, a lot of different people. Even made a documentary there. Going into some people's houses, at the time I wasn't a photographer, we were shooting this documentary on a, the uh, standard definition XL1 Canon camera. I don't know what he's so, talking about. Yeah. I so I, technically I was shooting that's film. That's why I was sticking my thumbs up. Right technically I was shooting you film. You were not technically, technically shooting yeah, I don't, film. Somehow that's film. I don't know how. Film. I don't know how. That, there was film. There was a tape. Anyway. It's a tape. But man, I, I think that would... I think that would be something that you were looking for. Because as much as I've seen of Cuba, I haven't been to Cuba, but... That was the furthest back in time that I've gone because it's oh, I'll, it's it's you uh, have pictures I can look at. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, wooden carriages with wooden wheels, horses. That's how people get around. Um, just it's literally like you're going a hundred years back in time. I like that. You know, I think the photographers are basically, regardless of our intent, are historians. Yeah. I like the idea of capturing things that haven't been captured. I like the idea that I was in Cuba early and and got to some of these buildings before they got renovated or fell down. And I, I don't know. There's something about the, you know, what photography is and what it does, and what it can do, and it, yeah. can, it, it does record history. And so, yeah, I'm looking for that. But I'm also looking for color. I'm looking for that narrative. I'm looking for architecture. Yeah. It can't just be a peeling wall because that's just not enough. There's not right. enough there. There's not me. a lot of architecture in Eastern Europe. It's all the same. It's no, all drab. But, it's all dilapidated. There's architecture in a very specific way, and there's a lot of it. I'm going back to Cuba, I think, yeah. in a month, maybe a little longer. Will you bring me with you? Yes. Mm, let's go. Yeah. I've been dying to get to Cuba. I'll go. All right. I'm in. Are you? Yeah. All right. Yeah. Rob, can we're I go? Going to, we're going no, to... No, because I'm going too. <laughs> or yes, because I'm going, going. too. Yeah. There's Kevin, no way I'm not going to miss... <laughs> Sorry, Kevin. I am not going to miss a trip to Cuba, Three cities. particularly with Michael Eusman. Three cities, yeah. All right. We're working so, on location now, and I'm supposed to get it back in 10 days. How do we'll you go. produce that? How do you... I know a producer down there that I met one... A couple times ago, really a good good dude, and um, he, he's got people out, you know, looking for knocking on doors and going in and trying to find interiors. It's I've, I did it in 2014 and was not very successful. So, but I just felt like maybe if I do two other cities besides Havana, maybe if I, maybe it's just a you know I had a bad I had a bad I don't I didn't have a bad shooting day. It's not me. That, that's the thing <laughs> yeah. I, I try I have to tell myself. If sometimes you just don't get in front of things that are really great, right? And most of the time, you don't get her. And, and, and usually, almost everything you get in front of is is not a great. And you have to get in front of all those places to be in front of the right one. Right. And that's time in. Yeah, it's just it's that's just it's in. just opening doors. Yeah. It's just traveling and going and hoping that you're going to open a door. And it's like Christmas, you know, it's going to be this great present, or it's going to be. Eh. I think we should go with you, and I think we should take our cameras. Uh, Let's see what we get with you. All right, film or digital. 
Transparent. Trannies. Trans. We're going to bring trans. We're going to take trans down. 35 millimeter trans film. That, those are yeah. transparencies. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, cameras, motion yeah, picture. Yeah. 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 I'll, bring my X, I'll bring my XL1. I'll shoot film. Nice. <laughs> that'd be great. Let's bring Alexas down there. That'd be cool. There's so much to talk to you about. We should come back and have another sit down with you. Talk about composition. Okay. Talk about the so many of the processes of talk about printing too. I mean, think about how many different printing processes we can talk about. How we how we can share that with our audience because there's a wealth of knowledge that would be fun to tap. Yeah, it's um, it's it's my favorite thing to do now. Yeah, I've got a hundred. I probably have a hundred thousand negatives. Um, and and <laughs> that's amazing. Well, maybe not even that. How many, many. trans? More than you think. <laughs> but um, a hundred thousand negatives. Well, it's for. I, maybe That's a lot. It's probably not. That What's the much. process of turning that into digital? What would that cost? I, I have a scanner. scanner. I just stick it in a drawer and push a button. It takes time. What, what's a scanner cost? It was mm-hmm. about twenty five thousand. Twenty five thousand yeah. for a scanner. Wow. Yeah. Whew. But I. But I'm Do you not. Flex tight. Is that? Is yeah. You're scanning? Yeah. yeah. But I'm not, um, it was the most I ever spent in my whole career yeah. with my bought that. But I knew that I wasn't going to go to a lab every time I wanted to. Right. And, and how long it. does it take it? If um, I have one, one, what does it take? One negative. 30 seconds? 45 seconds? A minute? Minute. 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 Two minutes. I think someone crunched the numbers on that quickly. That's a out. lot of time. It's too many time. Yeah, but you can be working. 100,000 minutes. You can be working on the photo, Photoshop on the, at right. the same time. 100,000 minutes Someone plus the time Someone figure out how, how much time that is. It's forever. Days. It's just forever. How many days is 100,000 But you know what's fun about it? Quick, everyone do math. <laughs> you know what's, what's fun about it is the thing I loved about photography, which you're going to be absolutely clueless on, is watching an image appear in a tray. Right? You don't know what that means? No, of course I do. I, <laughs> okay. I, I, took, I took photography uh-huh. in uh, high school and it was still film. Oh, all right. I'm, I'm playing it down a little bit uh, for our right. audience. Well, um, it's, I don't know what I was going to say. It was good. That will know that you were going to say. Oh, no, I know, what it, was. I know so what it was. Amazing. I know what it was. Watching that trick. That... Watching... Shaking it like a Polaroid picture. Yeah. Aren't you? yeah. Watching a print. No, when, I, when one of the biggest thrills <laughs> from the very first time I did it to, 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 to now is watching that print appear in the, in the, in the developer tray. And the thing about a scan is when you put that negative in, it's a negative. You don't have a clue to what it really looks like. It's kind of purple. It's kind of orange, and it's got shapes. And, and you put it in that scanner, and it, and it scans it, and it comes on your screen slowly from left to right. And it's just like being in the darkroom. Really? It you have the first, feeling? Yes, absolutely. Well, that's you, good. Because you've seen it for the first time positive. It's yeah. always been a negative. And so it's not unlike you know developing it because you now you see it and you go wow it's pretty good or so oh, that didn't work so, so well. funny story about the scanner so my dad was in vietnam and he has all of these negatives right and i've never gone through them so i ordered this cheap uh scanner off of uh amazon i think i paid i don't know 40 bucks for it or something like that i didn't know what i was looking for and i just started scanning them this was like maybe six to eight months ago and uh, I was looking for portraits of my dad, right? And then finally, boom, one comes up. And then, bam, it's right there. I put oh. it in Photoshop. Oh, that's awesome. I'm, I you know, messed around with it a little bit, you know, corrected a lot of things because it was a little off. But most of the photos were out of focus or, you know, super soft. From the scan? Yeah. Or from the shoot? Who knows? The scanner was shit. I didn't know what I was no, really doing. probably the shoot, I Could guess. be both. The scanner yeah. could be terrible. I, I, I doubt, mean, you know, they're in Vietnam actually, like, pulling focus. He spent and, 40 like, bucks you know. on a scanner. <laughs> you, you no think it, was it might have been 60. I don't know. It was less than 100. It was still bad. It was, yeah, it was, it was, it was, it yeah. was Amazon Prime, and I wanted right. it tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it. Anyway, I found the process interesting, but I was just completely clueless and helpless because there's not a lot of... There wasn't a lot of articles or, or uh, resources online, so to, so to speak, about how to do that, or like what the process was. Yeah. Now that you're spending twenty five thousand yeah. dollars on the one scanner, wow! Yeah, it's a good scanner. And the flex yeah, is a great scanner. Yeah, I mean, I've had it for I guess ten, twelve years because like there was no way I was going to pay twenty five dollars a a scan. A scan. That's, a, that's the and thing. You go you and think sh- about it. You shoot, you, you, right. you, it, it made sense financially. Absolutely. Twenty five a scan, and we, you charge yourself at, fifty. I looked at buying a scanner for the studio, so I could do that for for clients as well. I actually, put, you know, do my own scans, but it, it's it it was a lot of money. I just decided against it. Yeah, 
I, I, I didn't have a choice. I, I had to do it because yeah, uh, I couldn't. I couldn't not scan my things. But it's funny we're talking about you can't find anything online in these days about the tutorial. And when I was thinking how far photography had ch- has changed, and it, what what it made me think of is when I was doing when I first started in '73, I was doing the zone system of Ansel Adams, which is a you know a developing theory, and, and it had all kinds of things you had to do. And I was really having trouble with it. And I had a, I had the book, and I'm looking at the book, and there's nobody teaching it. It was just a, you know, he, his book, and a, uh, maybe ten thousand people in the world were doing what I was doing. Right. And I thought, how am I gonna, you know, how am I gonna get this thing figured out? And I go, pick up the phone, I call information. I say, could I have the number for Ansel Adams in Carmel, California? Are you kidding me? No. And did and you get? They him? gave me the number. Would you like me to place the call? I said absolutely. And it, dude picks up the phone. Not it's, even. You I, called Ansel Adams. Yeah, that was awesome. You talked to him. Yeah. I How told, was it? Oh, it was great. I said, I said, Mr. Adams, I'm doing your zone system, uh, and I've I keep getting uneven development. How do you agitate your film? You and he started can't. talking about, well, I think you have the wrong fixer, and you got to do it this way, and you got to do it that way, and you know, if you have problems, call me back. Are you kidding me? Yeah. No, it was great. He was really sweet, and he was very helpful. And okay, Michael, this is where you just take the mic, you drop it, and you walk off the set, because that's awesome. I yeah. can't believe you called Ansel no, Adams no. out of the blue, and he talked to you. No, he was very cool. He was, he was One he, degree of separation. Dude, oh, that's no. hugely cool. Do you have, that's, that, that blows my mind. Well, he, you it's know, it was, but my whole point of it was it's not amazing. It wasn't amazing then, because photography in the, yeah. in the 70s was just not many people doing it. Right. Serious amateurs and professionals and a few people who were making thought they could make art with it because when it came along it you know it had a huge effect on painting because now somebody could render a scene without somebody having to paint it so it freed up painters it changed the world it changed you know the way you know but there weren't that many people so it was you know there were a bunch of people i called like that but it was easy because they were awesome. all, they were all, and if he, you met him, we'd probably, you know, they were always exchanging prints. They'd right. have, they'd have these meetings and um, uh, workshops and things in every, or college uh, up, up east. There were lots of people teaching photography that all knew each other and networked. And they would exchange, they would have print exchanges. So you just, you say, you like that? Oh, I like this. Let's, right. you know, it's so different. Yeah, that was a, that was a different time. All right, we have to have you come have you come back. We're, we're, I know we're running long, so we're gonna we're gonna say come back. Okay, so many good stories I'm and in. so many great things we want to talk about. Have to get get you okay, on the but, airwaves but I, again. But I do want everybody to send in locations. Yeah, absolutely. So to our audience, Michael Eastman is looking for incredible locations anywhere yeah. in the world. Yeah. Um, send a dick pic too. Why not? <laughs> Just fuck it. Send a dick back. No, send locations to Mike, to us. Send them to, yeah, yeah if you have them, send them to rob at rggedu.com, With and we will back. forward them on to Michael. Help me out, Josh. <laughs> Michael, help, where can we find your work? Uh, oh, it's uh, eastmanimages.com. Are you active on social media? Can we follow you? Yeah, it's Eastman, uh, Eastman you, Images on, on at Instagram. At Eastman Images. All right. Everyone I, listening f- right now, follow at Eastman Images. Yippee. Yeah. Thank you. It's okay. been fun talking with you. My, my oh. pleasure. And that wraps this episode up, Rob. Another one in the books. Another Boom, one. Let's, let's three-way pound it. Bam. <laughs> <laughs> Did you know that I keep bees? Like I'm a beekeeper. Seriously, I have a ton of bees. I probably have like seven or eight million. I don't too many bees. I have too many bees. Podcast out. <laughs>